if you want to be a good leader, you first have to be a good listener. And when you're dealing with creative people, you really have to understand and accept them for who and what they are, you know, their tendencies. You can have expectations, but once you learn to listen to what a person is actually committed to doing, rather than saying, no, you have to do it like this. If you listen to them and you realize that they're not a morning person, you're not going to schedule them for the 6 a.m. shoot. Because something's always going to happen. They're going to be late or they're not going to be on top of their game if they do show up on time. So you start booking those people for the afternoon shows, for the afternoon call times. Or if they're a night out, you know, they don't mind coming in at 6 p.m. and working all throughout the night. It's just understanding people. Welcome, I am your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In the last episode, I had a great conversation with Whitney Hinshaw Sullivan on the topic of empathy and leadership. We talked about the risk of having either too little or too much empathy, and we shared some ideas on how to find the right balance. Today, my guest is Jazzy T. Williams, CEO and founder of the Jazzcast Pros Podcast Network. It's a podcast network focused on leadership and self-development. They have a mission to educate, empower, and inspire women and people of color so that they can attain social equity, become financially independent, and maintain healthy relationship with themselves and others. Jazzy and her team do that by giving a voice to thought leaders via podcasting. In our conversation, Jazzy shared her journey from on-air talent to entrepreneur. And we discuss the nuances of managing artistic talent and the parallel and lessons that can translate to any other field. Enjoy. I'm going to start with the same question that I ask all my guests, Jazzy. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're doing now and how you got here and you can take as little or as much time as you want. All right, Dina. Well, thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. Love the show. My name is Jazz Williams, known as Jazzy T on the radio for the past 23 years. I am the CEO and founder of Jazzcast Pros Podcast Network. We are a audio first network focused on entrepreneurship and self-development. And right now we have 15 podcasts on the network. 10 of those we produce and edit and develop, distribute in-house. It's a wonderful opportunity to work with thought leaders, coaches, and businessmen and women who have a greater mission, which is to help people with their knowledge and expertise. I saw on your LinkedIn that you have a long career in radio as a host, as the talent, actually. Many people that go on that path don't end up wanting to be entrepreneur or starting a business. So tell me a little bit how you got started and then what was the spark that led you to want to start the business? Well, I started like many other people as an intern at Power 96.5 WQHH in Lansing, Michigan. I went to Michigan State University, so it was the, the hip-hop station in Lansing, Michigan there. After interning for a few months, they offered me the Saturday night show. And as part of the show, we developed a lane for local artists. So we had a showcase called Lansing Live. And that's really when I started to develop my love for coaching and developing talent. 
So we would find artists, singers, rappers, and so forth, and give them a platform on the radio. And also we would have a showcase where they could come and win a cash prize. So although I continued in radio from Lansing to Detroit, also worked in LA, I always had that itch to find and develop talent, which ultimately is helping in the development of the Jazzcast Pros podcast network. But going a little bit more into the story, when I had a chance to work in LA at KJLH, I also started doing some work as a background actor. So got into the production scene. My degree is actually in telecommunication, digital media arts. So I started to work on set as a production assistant, got really into the production aspect of stuff and post-production. So editing has always been in my blood as well. So again, that goes back to helping people because you'll have people that will come on with um, an interview, whether it's an artist or a local community leader, and they have a great message, but sometimes their message need to get cleaned up just a little bit. So to have those technical skills to go in there and edit those up, whether it's video or audio, just something I always continue to do. After having that experience in Hollywood and having opportunities to move back to Michigan, there was a huge incentive in 2010 to 2012 in Michigan where the film incentive was 42%. So that drew a lot of Hollywood producers to the state of Michigan so that they could get a a huge tax break on their production. The thing was, Michigan never had a big TV or movie scene before. Some commercials here and there with the automotive industry and things like that, and obviously some theater. But a lot of the cast and crew weren't accustomed to the ways of doing stuff the way Hollywood expects it to be done. So my husband and I formed our first company in 2010 called JR Galactic Casting. And that's where we would literally go around the state and teach people how to be in a movie, how to be an extra, how to be a part of the crew, or even offer some production support services, such as catering, for instance, or how to rent out your venue, for a Hollywood production. So we became a go-to name during that time where people would come in and they would stop at JR Galactic first to assemble the team, if you will. And they really liked working with us because we had already trained these people on how things go, the call times and just how things are supposed to work. And it, they'll be expecting, you know, 12 hour days, even though it could be a shorter day. That's something that a mind has to get change to thinking, okay, nine to five and I'm done. No, you're on set until we wrap, until director says, cut, check the gate, and we got it. So having that leadership experience from our very first entrepreneurial venture has just stayed with me the entire time. And of course, just continuing to develop that leadership skill and also just developing and highlighting the skills of other people. I found that finding people and giving them a platform brings me more joy than being in front of the microphone and the camera myself. It's interesting because I had a question in mind when you started talking about working with all the talent and the actors. You started actually going there. So managing and coaching and training creative talent is a very different endeavor than managing regular people. Yeah. (laughs) What are some of the lessons that you learned 
through that, that maybe somebody who's trying to manage their team could draw from? Well, I would say if you want to be a good leader, you first have to be a good listener. And when you're dealing with creative people, you really have to understand and accept them for who and what they are, you know, their tendencies. You can have expectations, but once you learn to listen to what a person is actually committed to doing, rather than saying, no, you have to do it like this. If you listen to them and you realize that they're not a morning person, you're not going to schedule them for the 6 a.m. shoot because something's always going to happen. They're going to be late or they're not going to be on top of their game if they do show up on time. So you start booking those people for the afternoon shows, for the afternoon call times, or if they're a night out, you know, they don't mind coming in at 6 p.m. and working all throughout the night. It's just understanding people. And that's even translated with the podcasters. You know, we do have a, a array of personalities that host these different shows And they all have their own ways of being. A lot of them are entrepreneurs themselves. They don't really want a boss. They don't really want somebody telling them what to do, but they are receptive to coaching. So I feel like when you are coaching and you are leading someone, you first have to listen to them. I had a great conversation with one of my podcasters that you met at Podcast Movement in Denver, Kelly Marie, and she just laid it all out in the line. Like, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to make this the best podcast it can be. But I'm just letting you know, I'm not money motivated, for an example. Other people are money motivated. So learning what they're motivated by and giving them opportunities to have those little peaks of motivation based on their own interest rather than your own. I was going to mention the fact that we met at Podcast Movement and I was struck by the interaction between you and uh, Kelly. And that was the moment like, I want Jazzy on my podcast because seeing how you were dealing with her and working with her and when you said, oh, she's on my network, I'm like, okay, she's going to be a really interesting person to talk to. So the, the first point that you made, which is absolutely fundamental, is basically understanding the people's skills and, and tendencies and putting them in an optimal solution. There are still moments when you're going to need to ask them to do something that they may not want to do. What are some of the lessons in that arena, if you will? Yeah, well, it still goes back to their own motivation. So if I need you to turn in your recording on time, for instance, that's a big thing for people is to be told when to do something, especially if they are entrepreneurs, because again, they opted out of having a boss. I remind them of our why. I I remind them of the goal. And I remind them of the people who are counting on them. A lot of people, when they realize that somebody is relying on them to do something, that is a a great motivator as well. So our listeners are expecting a new podcast every Monday. So we, we can't let them down. Our sponsors, our advertisers are expecting that this content is out there so that their ad can be heard and they get their money's worth and you in turn get your check every month from this person who's sponsoring you, right? So you have to remind them that this is why we're doing these things and also just giving them some best practices as well. So one thing that I 
really got to see right in front of me was in Denver. I brought six of my podcasters along to podcast movement, Kelly being one of them. And I found it was pretty interesting. Some of the things that I was telling them myself, it didn't quite click until somebody from the stage said the same exact thing, right? Some of that external validation. And I feel like we all have this, like your mom always tells you best practices, like brush your teeth before you go to bed or, you know, make your bed when you get up in the morning, certain things like that. Never leave the house with dirty dishes in the sink, right? And you might be like, why I gotta do this? Oh, it's my mom telling me this, right? But then when they hear somebody else outside that they admire and respect say the same thing, then you're like, Oh, now I get it right now. I understand why. So just kind of taking your own self out of the equation. Don't take it personal. If they don't follow your suggestions, maybe they do need to hear from somebody else. And that can be as simple as sending them an article on something. Hey, I thought you might find this very interesting, right? Not see, I told you so, but you might find this interesting or I just had an amazing encounter with this person. They have a a podcast. You should check it out, right? Now, you know that when they listen to the podcast, they're going to hear the lessons that you've been trying to teach them, but it's coming from a different source and a different medium that they may be more receptive to. So I find that that works. (laughs) Since we're talking about leadership and how you're leading your team, when did you start thinking now that I lead people, this is how I want to lead them. These are the important qualities. And maybe were there examples in your career before of situation that you were in that informed you how you want or did not want to do? A lot of my life has been examples of stuff that I don't want. (laughs) So ways that I wish that I was dealt with in corporate America, right? Like even with the radio situation, there's There's an ongoing joke that the communication industry is the worst internal communicators. (laughs) So, you know, and I try to think, how could I do better? Like if I ran this radio station, if I was in charge of this TV station, how would I make this a little smoother for my employees? And I take that into owning with Jazzcast Pros Network with the editors, with the host, with the sales team. Like, how would I want to be spoken to? What opportunities would I want to have laid out in front of me? And I call them opportunities rather than responsibilities. You know, when you start to change your mindset from, oh, I have to go to work to I get to go to work because I want to accomplish the goal, whether the goal is getting a paycheck or getting notoriety or landing speaking gigs, whatever the goal is, not that I have to make this call or I have to work on my resume. I get to work on my resume because that is going to land me another opportunity. So just laying out opportunities and letting everybody feel like they have a choice. You you know, you can follow this path and we'll get to this goal or You can choose to do something off the beaten path and it's going to take us longer to get to that particular goal. So that's something that I had to learn from being an employee and saying, how would I make this better as a CEO? Along these lines, through our careers, we start out with other people's expectations, right? We, whether it's our family, our peers, our employers, and, and we feel that we need to match those expectations. And then as we mature, 
uh, we start coming to our own. The entertainment industry, it's fairly unique, I think, because especially at the beginning, you're always put into the situation where you're made to feel that it's a really scarce opportunity. And so you should just do whatever you're told. I'm interested in your journey navigating that and then how you came into where you are now. My journey is probably different than a lot of people might assume. Now, I do not take for granted that there are only a handful of afternoon radio hosts in any particular city. There are only a handful of morning traffic reporters in any particular city or morning news crew at all. It is a competitive space. And when I first got started, you know, I did while I was in college, I did take an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and intern at BET 40 hours a week for no pay. So I would leave my internship and then go work at Best Buy just so that I could make the rent. And so there is that, hey, you know, you we can pay you peanuts or nothing at all and be grateful for this opportunity because there's a thousand people lined up outside of the door. What I found though, is even though there's a thousand people waiting outside of the door, those thousand people are not as talented as you are. They're not as motivated as you are. They're not as hungry for knowledge and to uplift the overall quality of the production in that corporation. Even if you're just an intern, when you come in with the goal of helping the entire team, whether it's the sales or the programming or the production side, you just want to see everybody win. So for myself, having that motivation, that drive and that talent, I never felt that I had to go along with everything that was not working for myself, my morals, my goals. If I didn't like the way something was happening, I would not just complain about it. I would try to think of a solution for it. And I would give a case study of, hey, we've been doing things this way and been getting these results. I was wondering if we could try it another way and add this one piece in there and see if that can increase our productivity, for example. And a lot of times when you're dealing with people who are above you, managers, CEOs, there can be ego, right? There can be. But what I found is the most successful people are, again, listeners. The most successful leaders will listen and take it into consideration at least And it doesn't, you don't always get your way, but you can always make a suggestion and see how, see how it goes from there. And if, again, if it doesn't get adopted, then you might start thinking, all right, how would I do this differently if I was in charge? And what steps do I need to take in order to put myself in a position of leadership? This is a perfect place to make the transition to my next question. We talked about putting yourself in charge. So tell me about how you formed the idea of the podcast network. There's a very clear editorial line and sort of a mission in it. And so what was the driver in that? And how did you conceive and then start executing, if you will? Yeah. So we started with one podcast, Beauty Boss Millionaire in 2021. And that was a person I had done some brand ambassadorship with. She actually owns a franchise of beauty parlors. And as a person who has been on the radio, our working relationship actually started because she was like, hey, let me offer you some services and then you can 
essentially be the voice of my company on the radio. So when she came to me, I was not a podcast listener. (laughs) I was not a podcast producer, but I had been an editor for many years, as I mentioned, both in television, film, and also in audio production. So after we started with one, then shortly after Kelly Marie came around and she introduced me to another colleague of hers and we produced Igniting Hope Radio for a pastor out of Buffalo, New York. And after that, word just continued to grow and continued to grow. And people would come to me and sometimes they would have ideas about, you know, gossip shows or just news of the day or uh, chit chat, all these type of things that are more, I feel, suited for traditional daily media, the radio, the TV news. But I'm like, when we're doing podcasts and we want these podcasts to be evergreen content that someone can come and click on a year later and still find value in it, I started to have to say no to some people that would come to me. And then we really narrowed down on the mission between entrepreneurship and especially Black women entrepreneurs. When you look at that sector, how immense it is growing with Black women starting their own businesses, but having less access to capital, less access to mentorship and all of this stuff. So I said, I feel we could really feel a need here in talking specifically to people of color and also to women to feel like they have a space and they can hear people that are going through the same type of issues and struggles, like with getting real with Posse. They're not people of color. They're not women of color. However, they do a really good job of bringing in female entrepreneurs and giving them a space to talk about a scenario especially when you work with your husband, your husband may be a partner, but you're actually the CEO. And then a client will come into the room and be looking and talking at the man the whole time. And it's like, excuse me over here. I'm the CEO. I'm the decision maker here. You know, I'm the one writing the checks. Like, can I get a little attention? And of course we can't say that in the meeting, but we can get together in a podcast and share those frustrations. (laughs) Your role, I assume, with all the podcasts on the network may vary depending on who's the host. But in general, you you help both with the editorial line and the the production. Is that correct? So what we do is a really deep dive in the beginning of the development of the show. People will come to me with a idea and we really chisel it down to who is it that you're trying to help? Like we even give the avatar a name, right? My goal in life is to help Sue get from being miserable in her job to having a self-sustainable business while being able to spend more time with her kids, right? So when you understand who you're talking to, then you can easily craft your message. Even the type of guests that you bring on, is Sue going to benefit from this guest being on this podcast and the, the lessons that they have to offer and some solutions and some stories that they have to offer as well. So with Jazzcast Network, we our mission is to entertain, empower, and inspire women and people of color. And so when you start to think about development of the show, it comes from the very, very beginning. And then we have weekly meetings to say, all right, this is the topic I'm thinking about. This is the guest that I'm thinking about. How does that align with 
Sue or our avatar, for instance, how does that align with our overall mission? So they have most creative control. When they're done recording, they send it to me or they upload it to the cloud. And then we take care of all the post-production with the show notes, titles, get it distributed, all of that type of stuff. And then obviously handling the advertising and the sponsorship part of it for them as the network. As you were talking about developing the show, one thing that struck me is that the process of helping a host find and embody their voice as the host of a show, it's very similar to the process that you go helping people figuring out who they are authentically, what their value and being aware of of those values. So I'm interested in learning how do you work with your hosts to help them really find their voice? So you mentioned being authentic. That's what it starts with. With 4 million podcasts out there, no one wants to listen to a phony or a fake or someone who's faking it or doing it for the gram and all of that. Even when you look at YouTube, those type of channels are falling by the wayside. Everybody wants something real and something tangible. And so it begins with helping the host to understand their authentic self, their morals, their values, and their gifts that they're here to share with the world. So the power of podcasting is to be able to share yourself and share your stories, even if it's an interview-based show, because that's going to guide the type of questions that you ask, the type of stories that you pull out of your guests is coming from a place of authenticity. And trying not to argue and disrespect or try to force your point on a guest is also really important. Now, some friction is good, but you can't just go on there saying, no, I'm right and that's it. This is not a time for argue. This is a time for exploration and understanding of ourselves and of our guests and of our listeners as well. So taking into account the feedback, once you do get a show started and you start to read the comments and you see what people gravitate to, what shows have the most downloads, you want to do more stuff in that vein as well. You do have to follow the numbers in, in some in some regards, but not so far as to, all right, now it just sounds like clickbait or now this is just, you know, this is moving away from my goal. You always have to remember your North Star, always have to remember your why. Why did you start this business? Who are you aiming to help? In our network specifically, it's all about self-improvement and entrepreneurship so that we can help people have thriving business or help people be better parents or just even helping people dealing with their own mental health. And you do that by way of sharing pieces of your own journey. So you have to understand yourself first. It's very interesting. You said something that really resonated with me, which is the challenge of finding that balance between truly being yourself, but then not crossing that line where you're stubbornly yourself at the detriment of the overall success of the show. So we want to see what resonates more with the people, what resonates more with the listeners, what gets the downloads, and and helping your host, I guess, to say, okay, this is your true parts that are resonating. These are your true parts that are resonating less. And maybe it's okay to highlight more of the parts that are resonating is not being unauthentic. Do you find yourself every once in a while having conversations like that with your hosts? And, and how do you navigate them? 
For some reason, what's coming to mind is a podcast that started off as a solo show only, you know, 10, 15 minutes of advice or coaching, you could call it. And we started having a lot of invitations for guests that wanted to come on the show. And you'll have some instances where, all right, are we just bringing this person or this company on because of the brand recognition? And how does that ultimately hurting us. We we did have a big cable and internet company that took over one of our episodes and it performed very poorly, even though they were a big name because it kind of turned into an, an infomercial. And so you have to be very careful of that. You know, of course they have an agenda and, you know, they want to talk about their new services and all of that. But how is that again, helping your listener? If your goal is to help them not feel alone in their entrepreneurship journey as a female, then how is hearing about the latest product and service going to help? And I'm not saying it can't, but how does it help? What story can we bring in, especially during um, hybrid and at-home learning? If you're a mother with three kids who have to do school online, having high-speed internet is very beneficial because it allows them to smoothly go through their school day, but it also allows you to have your tea and your coffee and your morning meditation without any hiccups, without somebody yelling, mom, the internet froze and this and that. So you have to throw in those stories that show, wow, this is why I'm so happy that I have this internet service, for example, because this is how it's applying to my real life. And I felt like in that particular episode, we should have done more of that. But that was just a, you know, it was a learning lesson. I love this story because one of the biggest thing that creative people struggle with, especially the ones that have a lot of integrity, is the idea that getting paid or getting sponsored for their work sometimes is unethical. But the reality is that you can, if you find a balance where you are genuinely delivering something that you believe is value, then in that case... It, it serves you, it serves your audience, and it's okay that it serves a brand. So that's a fantastic story. I want to pivot a little bit here. So you've done this for a few years. You've gone from starting out, as you said, as an intern to where you are now. How has your definition of success for yourself changed along the years? It used to be more external, right? People could hear me on the radio. You could see me on TV. So I'm successful because look at me, right? But as I've gotten older, it's more about the impact that I've been able to have on other people's lives. Even going back to the casting company in Michigan, I still have people that will reach out on social media and say, I just want to thank you for giving my very first shot in this entertainment industry. I've since moved to LA or moved to Chicago and am fulfilling my dream of becoming a working actor because you gave me that first shot or you offered that free workshop or you let me intern with you at the radio station and I ended up getting my own radio show. You know, those are the moments that really measure out my success because I feel like, you know, in 20 to 50 years when the name Jazzy T might not be around anymore, the legacy of Jazzy T and Jazzcast Pros will live on. Same with our podcasters. 
many of them have confessed to me that they would not have a podcast if it wasn't for me. And that's not to say that they couldn't figure it out or they couldn't have hired someone else. But the fact that I took the time to coach them through it and really help them with the development of it and give them the motivation and reminder of why they started in the first place. Because there's this thing called pod fade. After the seventh episode, people who are not encouraged and motivated will just stop recording. Or they'll maybe go from every week to once a month to every other month to maybe three in this month and maybe none the next month because there's nobody there holding them accountable. So that's another part of where I feel like my measure of success is the longevity of our podcasters and the success of all of the talent that we touch. That's fabulous. So before we go into the what I call my personal questions, if our listeners want to go and discover the podcasts from your network, where is the easiest place to go? If you are a subscriber of Apple Podcasts, you can search Jazzcast Pros and click on our channel. And all of the podcasts will come right into your podcast player there. If you want some more options, jazzcastpros.com is the website where you can get in contact with us, read up on some of the blogs, and of course, have access to all of the podcasts there as well. There'll be links to your Spotify, your iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Fabulous. So go out and listen to some of the podcasts from the network. What is a hobby or a passion that you have outside of work and how has it maybe influenced your work? It's such a difficult question for me because since I've been working in this industry since I was 16 years old, this is my hobby. This is what I love to do. I guess I would say dancing is a hobby of mine and it also allows me to give back. For example, I just finished up Dancing with the Ark, which was an inaugural fundraising event for the Ark of Monroe here in Rochester, New York, that supports people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. But it really gives the people that they support an opportunity to display their abilities. So myself and four other local celebrities were paired up with people that are supported by the Ark of Monroe. And we put on a fabulous uh, dance showcase at our local baseball field just a couple of days ago in downtown Rochester. And so we were able to raise money because people could vote for their favorite team in the way of donation. And so my partner, Cedric, and I, we were over, we were able to raise over $1,000 in votes and took home the big trophy. So I was able to learn some new choreography and get my dancing on and perform. And at the end of the day, you know, still help out and be a part of my community. That's great. Now I'm going to go to my favorite question of the podcast. Every era has business expressions, cliches, jargons that are so overused that they become meaningless. What is an expression that you hate? I hate it when a podcaster says, I cover a wide range of topics. Just you can't do that. You cannot be a podcaster. And you think of peas in a pod, right? Very narrow very narrow peas in a pod. When you think of broadcasting, it is the broader range of topics. I always like to say broadcasting is location specific, but topic wide. Podcasting is location wide, global, 
but should be topic specific. And so when a podcaster tells me that they talk about beauty tips and real estate and traveling and dog treats, what the heck are you doing? Just get on the radio or get on the news or something like that where you could talk about a wide range of topics. So I feel like that term has no place in the podcasting industry. Fantastic. I learned something because I did not realize that podcasting came from the pod and from the narrow. So <laughs> actually, that may be something I just made up, but I feel like it's relevant. The term podcasting actually came from the Apple iPod. Well, I like your explanation a lot better. <laughs> Thank you. From now on, that will be the correct origin of the term. Okay. <laughs> Final question. I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And you can choose if you go the body route, you can tell me a recipe or a drink that you love and find especially nourishing. Or if you go the soul route, anything art related, it could be a movie, a book, uh, you know, a piece of music, a piece of art, even a podcast, something that you really right now find inspiring for yourself. Well, my life changed when I saw the movie The Secret. It's actually a documentary. Michael Bernard Beckwith is in it. Esther Jerry Hicks is in it. Esther and Jerry Hicks. They're known for channeling Abraham, the spirit of Abraham. And their book, The Law of Attraction, really took off in 2006, where the self-help became an evolution from very niche to very broad where they were on Oprah and everywhere else. So for me, I would suggest if you can find the movie, the secret, watch that. If you can't find it, get the book, the law of attraction by Esther and Jerry Hicks. And that literally is the secret to everything that you want. The law of attraction essentially is like attracts like. So whether you are, you know, in a circumstance where you don't have much money and you're feeling sick all the time and your relationships suck and that's what you focus on. Oh, I'm always going to be broke. I'm never going to find a man. You know, all of those negative self-talks, the universe says your wish is my command. So once I understood that coming from a childhood and a family that was fixated on lack and limitation. I said, well, that's why nobody has anything. Cause that's all we talk about is not having anything. But when I changed my mindset to abundance and gratitude and being grateful for just the opportunity to wake up in the morning and feel the sun on my face, then the universe will start to bring you more things to be grateful for. When you start to talk affirmatively, you're going to get more things that bring you joy. And that allowed me to attract my my husband that I've now been married to for 15 years when I was having terrible relationships previously. It allowed me to take off in my career. It allowed me to start several businesses because I started looking at possibilities instead of limitations. Well, Jazzy, first of all, I'm grateful that the universe put us in the same spot because it was really like a, a chance encounter because I was supposed to meet someone else. That person didn't show up and I started talking to Kelly and then you arrived. And then second, 
I love this conversation, the energy you bring. You're, you're the podcasts that are working with you are very lucky to have you in their corner in this difficult and uh, sometimes disheartening industry. Thank you. Thank you very much for being a guest. Thank you for everything that you shared. And this was a great interview. Awesome, Dino. This has been amazing. I'm so glad that the universe brought us together and that you took the extra step to follow up and make the most out of this connection. Because so many times you meet people, here's my business card, and you never hear from them again. So thank you for reaching out. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a seller rating and a review. Five stars all the way. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For more information and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number 4. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Please make sure that you follow us on all the social platforms that you're on. On Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squatless.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, here's a song by Susan Cattaneo. Since we talked about supporting people and empowering them, I felt this song would be a great fit. It's called Hold On To Hope. Enjoy. When your faith starts to fray And that miracle you have been waiting on Is worlds away Steady breathing deep Trust that all see better days you've got to hold on hold on to hope hold on hold on to hope when you feel at the end of your Our love
Hold on to hope.